Yeah, you hear that? Yeah, what? Christ, Jesus. What is that? Sounds like people screaming. You get the stretchers. I'll get on the radio and phone this in. What is up guys? Welcome to The Bands That Changed My Life, Episode 2, with me, Dan P. This episode is focusing solely on one of my all-time favourite bands, Send More Paramedics. I originally came across the band back in April 2005. I picked up a copy of Metal Hammer magazine and threw on the free DVD that had come with it. 
It had some decent enough stuff on there, Converge, Anthrax, Martyr AD. But then I was approached the end of this Vaults of Horror DVD. Something made me sit up and take notice. It was a mix of the later era Misfits and the savagery of bands like Exodus and Slayer. One listen through and I was hooked. Highly infectious and catchy as fuck. One listen to Zombie Crew and I've never looked back. The band themselves, part thrash, part punk, all crazy. Seven more paramedics clawed their way from the grave back in 2001 and were sent back to their deathless slumber in 2007, formed by members of various post-hardcore and punk groups from Leeds at the time. The band went on to gain momentum as a leading light of the rapidly aggressive zombiecore and thrash genres, releasing the now infamous demo tape that scored them an almost instant record deal with In At The Deep End Records, followed by two split EPs, three full-length albums and a final cassette-only compilation release for you collectors out there. On this episode, I have three of the four from the band talking about their memories from that time and talking about what the future holds. Plus my phone conversation with the head of In At The Deep End Records, Mark Swinney, about his time working with the band, not to mention my picks from the band's discography. So prepare to thrash like an undead maniac.
This is Sam from Semel Paramedics, aka The Hellmouth. Hi, my name is Stuart Dobbins. I used to be known as, and still am in certain circles, as El Diablo. I was the drummer, the one in the mask for most of the time, although I've been that off towards the end because it was a complete nightmare. Right, with the introductions done, I'm going to jump straight into the questions. So, going back to your musical beginnings, what are your memories of how Senmore Paramedics came to be? Duncan, who is the guitar player, Medico, and I played in bands from about the age of 15, I think, back in Norwich, where we lived. We were in a band in the mid-90s called Smurf Tribe, of all things. We basically ended up in Leeds together. Sam was from Norwich as well. Sam was in a band in Norwich at the time. Um, Those guys went to university in Leeds. I didn't have anything to do, so I came up to Leeds as well, and we started making some music together and going to gigs. This was in about 1999-2000, when the Leeds punk, underground, hardcore, alternative, post-hardcore scene was booming. There was pretty much a gig on every night, All the bills were pretty eclectic. You know, you'd have a hardcore band on with a weird avant-garde jazz post-hardcore band with an emo band. So all that sort of thing was happening at the time. We actually formed a band, myself, Sam and Duncan, with a chap called Kev. We did another Mew the Robots, and that was the sort of first proper band we did in Leeds that started to play some gigs and get around the place and do some gigs actually outside of Leeds as well. Whilst we were doing none of the new there robots, we hit upon the brilliant idea of doing a one-off band for Halloween 2001. This dates, again, dates back to Norwich, to be honest, because Duncan and I would, would watch Return of the Living Dead at his house all the time. And remember us saying at the time, oh, we should do a band called Send More Paramedics because that's what the zombie says down the CB radio in Return of the Living Dead. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do that. Oh, that's, that's a brilliant name for a band. What will we sound like? And eventually we decided, oh, it's got to sound like Slayer. It's got to sound like Slayer. So we thought, oh, well, and this was at the time that Halloween, which, which is now a pretty big thing in the UK, at the time wasn't really a big thing. We you know, liked all the sort of Halloween-ness of the American side of things it was always a big deal there you used to watch films like obviously Halloween and what have you that uh, where a big deal was made out of it so we thought well, let's let's do something let's put a gig on do a band we'll call it Semor Paramedics it'll be basically Return of the Living Dead themed and what we'll do is we'll record a tape before we do it so that everybody's got the songs and everybody can basically listen to the songs know the songs before you play because you know you want to have a good time you want to have a sing along you want to have a dance, you want to do whatever. So if you play hearing those songs for the first time, it's not going to be as much fun as if people already know the music, which is something we got from some hardcore scenes um, in America. I seem to remember the, the chat from Over My Dead Body, who Duncan was friends with, had said that that's what they had done. They'd put together a tape before their first gig so people knew the songs and would get into it. So we did this tape and we recorded it in our basement on a four track and just started handing it out to people, just saying, here's a tape of the songs we're playing on Halloween. And... There we go, and the rest was history. We basically did the gig, ran out of songs very quickly, because we only had five songs, and they're all pretty short, so we had to do all of the set again, so we played the set twice, and we thought, oh, that's it. But then somebody said, oh, do you want to do another gig? We're like, don't be ridiculous. And then we did. We went, all right, we'll do it. And then we did another gig, and then there you go, that's some more paramedics. So talking about musical beginnings of the band, I'll give you the shortest possible version of a long story. 
Stu and Duncan had a really good skate punk band in school. Like a lot of bands, we went to school together, most of us. They kind of mixed it up a lot. They did a lot of different styles, including ska, but a lot of other stuff. They were really good. And I was in a kind of lame, grungy punk band that used to support them. And yeah, I always wanted to be in a band with those guys. Eventually, it kind of evolved, and me and our friend Ben formed a band during uni time with uh, Stu and Duncan called Jelly Gun Jack. Yeah, we were kind of a skate punk band with a lot of ska going on. It was the late 90s, etc. And we did that for a bit during uni, and then that came to an end, and me, Stu and Duncan ended up doing this post-hardcore band called And None of Them Knew They Were Robots with our friend Kev. It started about 2000. That was cool, but during that, we were watching a lot of zombie films, and we kind of stumbled across Thrash, which we hadn't massively known before. But I can remember hearing Slayer around the house of a guy called John Sutcliffe from a band called Canvas, among others. We started listening to that. I guess Duncan had been to California for a bit and seen a lot of straight-edge hardcore youth crew type bands. And he, I think he had the idea he wanted to start something like that, something where you could shout along with the chorus and so forth, get all your mates to sing along. And also, you know, he quite fancied playing a bit of thrash because he, he got the chops. So we kind of started this band as a joke for, for Halloween. The formula was Slayer plus Minor Threat plus Zombies. That was literally it. We did that one Halloween 2001. We kind of had a demo tape out ready so people would know the songs at the show. It was brilliant. And it was just a total drunken fun. People, I guess... People liked it, so we kept doing it. That was that. Six years. Six years went by in the flash of an eye. And it, it rocked. Why do you eat people? Not people. Brains. Brains only. Yes. Why? The pain. What about the pain? The pain of being dead. <laughs> So what were the influences in making the music for some more paramedics and have they changed at all for you since the band dissolved? It was Slayer when we started. It was like, can four idiots make something sound a bit like Slayer? And, you know, fortunately, Duncan knows how to play guitar, so, you know, we managed to cover that bit off. Really, it's just me going bum to bum to as fast as I possibly could in the background. So, you know, we, we, we wanted to sound like Slayer, 
Then I think as we got towards the second album, there was more thrash influences coming in at that point. There were things like Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth, all that sort of thing. And then I think when we got to The Awakening, we were listening to a lot of things like Carcass. Um, obviously, we didn't sound like Carcass. Uh, I had no intention of sounding like Carcass, but just that element whereby when Carcass did hard work and it was all very melodic... There's some riffs on there, things like Everything Is Not Under Control, which are kind of, you know, slightly more bouncy, slightly more melodic sounding music, still with the aggressive vocals and and that sort of thing on it. And we were lucky enough to have uh, Jeff from Carcass do some vocals, Jeff and Ken from Carcass, in fact, uh, do some vocals on a couple of tracks on that record. So that was great. In terms of what's happened since the band dissolved, I listened to whatever, whatever's out there, really. After Summer Paramedics, I joined Gentleman's Pistols. I was introduced to a lot of 70s rock, new wave of British heavy metal, all that kind of thing. But also, when I was 15, 16 and playing in bands with Duncan back in Norwich, we'd listen to Miles Davis and Prince and people like that. And, you know, I frequently go back to those people as well because it firstly reminds me of being a teenager, but also just the music is obviously incredible and you can keep coming back to it and finding new things in it influences in making the music for smp well speaking for myself i have to put my hands up and say i'm a little bit of a musical tourist when it comes to heavy metal and although the music did develop if you listen to smp there's a lot of skate punk in there uh, which is basically the stuff that Stu and duncan and then me also grew up playing all the kind of fat wreck epitaph type californian skate punk so that's that was a kind of very strong underlying influence and and you know the fast drums and the chugging guitar like i think it all comes from there to some degree but then thrash just kind of takes that and pushes it further so when we got into the thrash like we seized on slayer we already knew hardcore like minor threat and stuff we started listening to stuff like exodus creator i can remember listening to all kinds of thrash martin would tell you something quite a lot different because he's the only true metaler in the band to be honest he is a huge Metallica fan. Uh, he also loves what I see as tough guy, youth crew type hardcore. So that's that's his angle. But the rest of us were kind of coming out of skate punk and seizing on thrash as this progression of that in a way. In terms of like uh, my favourite stuff, I was kind of drawn maybe to, in the end, to the more crossover type stuff anyway. Uh, stuff like Anthrax, SOD, MOD, stuff that had a bit of a punky sort of feel in it, a bit of a skatey sort of feel. Yeah, I bet I talked to any of us. I mean, I didn't write the music. Uh, talked to Duncan about whose guitar he was ripping off. I know he was ripping off Scott Ian a lot. Metallica, we had to say Metallica to keep Martin happy. So, you know, Slayer and Minor Threat, really. And I don't know if you care about my musical tastes. Uh, I guess I really, since we stopped, I've gone back to kind of the stuff I used to like earlier. Kind of 90s alternative, 80s and 90s American punk stuff. Bands that have blown my mind in the last few years. Minutemen was one. Voivod was another. They're kind of like a thrash band, but they do progressive stuff. You know, it's got those weird time changes in and everything that, that I quite like. So, yeah, just kind of anything that's vaguely punk and vaguely interesting, even jazzy or progressive, I'm kind of into that.
Right, I've got an easy one next. What is your favourite SMP album or release and why? It's worth noting that we've got Duncan, aka Medico, present for this one. So, Duncan? Perhaps the original tape demo. It kind of encapsulated so much of what we'd hoped to do. And at the same time as manifesting and validating our half-formed ambitions, the ideas that it captured hinted at a roadmap for the band's future in terms of projects and vision. And it was also really fun to record and put together. It was all total DIY, a group of friends mostly in a mouldy basement. I was at law school at the time and I remember using the library photocopier and scissors and glue to cobble together my artwork and layout for the cover and insert. I was consumed with creative ideas but all the work and the countless decisions that went into that demo, it was without real effort, like we were frictionless in each other's creative slipstreams and the Leeds music scene buoyed us along. It was utterly inspiring in its blend of influences and people. The spirit of that demo was raw, exploratory, exciting and carefree. In terms of my favourite SMP release, uh, I scratched my head a little bit, but basically I think I have to go for the Awakening album, largely because it's the last album we did and therefore I think our game had improved as we'd gone on. The sort of supplementary electronic CD that Duncan created uh, is a cool aspect of it. The artwork was by Stefan Kapinski, who used to work do art for um, Games Workshop, so that was a cool thing. And you know, I think the uh, the music on there, the, the songs on there, there's some good variation. There's some different guitar stuff going on. There's some different tempos. Hopefully, my vocals had progressed and become a little bit more varied. So yeah, I think that's our most accomplished record, fond though I am of all of it. If it wasn't The Awakening, then it would be the uh, the first demo tape, which started it all off, which we recorded in our basement in Leeds, and which was just great fun. It's difficult to evaluate your own releases, I think. The one that sticks in my mind is the second album, Hallowed and the Heathen. The first one, Feast for the Fallen, was huge amounts of fun. It was just ridiculous that we were doing it, frankly. We just couldn't believe we were doing it. So it was all basically recorded. All the drums were done in a basement and just in people's bedrooms and gang shouts in the bedroom and just all that kind of stuff. And that was huge amounts of fun. But Hallowed and the Heathen, we actually did in a proper studio in Nottingham with uh, Paul Yeadon and the Moot Group. Now, it was that when it was, it was like, oh, we're in a proper studio, and it sounds like we're in a proper studio. This is actually people who know what they're doing, making us sound almost like we know what we're doing. But around that time, it was just starting to sort of get a bit of attention. We were playing gigs where people would turn up in zombie makeup and zombie stuff. So we just thought, okay, right, well, things are starting to happen. You know, this will be a good time to put out a shiny-sounding release, or as shiny as we possibly conceived it at that point so we, we wrote some songs um one of them was obviously zombie crew which seemed to become the hit and i just remember it just being a really good vibe at the time it was like we're making a record that is going to put a marker down to say this isn't a fluke we can actually do this properly and make something that's gonna people are gonna listen to and think right blimey yeah they they, they are actually doing this and that was in part because paul and johnny managed to make us sound good <laughs> and but it was just you know it was a great time we were all uh, hanging out together having a laugh sam was recording all the vocals in full makeup in the studio and it was just you know it was one of those it was just a great time and the, i think the songs we wrote at that time were just all coming together 
we were just all pulling in the same direction and it was just, uh, it was great fun. Here comes the first generic and cliched question of the show, but fuck it, I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have any cool or funny stories from the time on the road with the band over the six years it existed? The thing is, the stories that are, are funniest and make me laugh, they pro- you probably have to be there. You have to know the people involved and have had to be there in the circumstance for it to be funny. Retelling them always sounds a bit drab. 
and, and besides, none of our stories are, you know, in the realm of Ozzy Osbourne snorting a load of ants next to a swimming pool with Motley Crue or anything like that. There was no drugs or groupies or anything like that. I mean, really, at all. Most of it is extremely boring. Um, and the funny things that happen are just the little stupid things. Obviously, you're in a band that wears makeup. You know, things sometimes go wrong. There was a time when Sam thought he'd brought a load of green makeup along, um, and it turns out that he'd actually brought gold. So uh, everybody went on basically very shiny, very exotic. But it was, uh, but it was good. Uh, so basically, stuff like that: forgetting the makeup, bringing the wrong makeup, and. You know, that was it, really. There, there was there was not much of sex and drugs and, and rock and roll. We were far too boring and dweeby for that. Um, we just uh, we just had a laugh together, and that was it. You know, being being on the road in a van or as we did one time on an actual tour bus together was amazing. You know, you just you yeah, with your friends, effectively being driven around the country to play this hokey thrash metal to a load of people who will ply you with lager so why wouldn't you be enjoying yourself so that's basically what we did and it was fantastic funny stories from time on the road most of them that spring to my mind seem to be at my expense and to involve alcohol and misbehavior so i'm gonna say in terms of cool stories not necessarily on the road Another thing I was really proud of during the time we were doing it was uh, the Halloween shows we used to have pretty much. Yeah, I think every year we used to have a Halloween show. We used to make and photocopy flyers and this kind of thing, very very DIY, very homemade. And a cool thing I, I like to remember is uh, some of the um, stage props I used to make and some of the entrances that um, I used to make at those shows. So I... I had various rubber heads filled with uh, polyfiller that I used to bring on stage with me, complete with holes that I would eat brains out of, the brains being made out of um, grapefruit and food colouring. Uh, there were some other cool, um, well, quite, quite, quite bad uh, attempted special effects. Uh, like one year I um, sewed a load of condoms full of coloured water onto the front of my t-shirt so it was supposed to look like entrails falling out of my gut unfortunately the water was heavy and I guess the rubber was such that it just made these really big dangling balls that were (laughs) swinging around in front of me as I came on stage and it just looked terrible so some cool uh, idiot sort of makeup things the time I sprayed hairspray over my head at the suggestion of Des Kadena to try and fix the makeup in place and had an allergic reaction and had to feel my way to a local boots from the gig venue to get some antihistamines so I could see and do the gig. I was carried on stage in a coffin uh, at least once, which we borrowed from Hellraiser Records in Leeds. I was escorted at various times by zombie policemen, by zombie scientists in those kind of, you know, toxic coverall things. I, I made a plywood coffin one year, which, I, which stood up on the stage and which I burst out of at the beginning quite a few <laughs> quite a few sort of silly uh, entrances that were made that was fun um, not forgetting the time when we did one of our comeback shows and I was trying to find something that would look like a, a barrel of 245 trioxin and I ended up getting stuck inside a wheelie bin in my back garden in North London and, and kind of was stuck there for 
about half an hour trying to climb out because no one was in. So, uh, yeah, quite a few funny stories uh, to do with the staging and so on. chance to catch up with in at the deep end records head honcho mark swinney and pick his brain about his memories of how he came to work with some more paramedics so mark i'm just wondering what are your memories of how you came to sign the band back in 2001 after hearing their halloween gig demo tape three of them were in a band called them laugh and knew they were robots and i thought that they were brilliant they really their first red ep or self-titled or whatever it's called it's, I thought it was amazing and I used to go and see him quite a lot at the Thick Inn in Derby which at the time did loads of like punky it was a really good scene there and they did loads of gigs absolutely loads of bands went through that pub and I at the time was running a directory review 
website for punk, ah, yeah. UK punk bands called UK Bass, and I went to see Anon of Do Their Robots to review the gig, and I they had a tape that you're talking about on the merch desk. Now, I hadn't heard of Semmel Pounds, I weren't, wasn't aware of the gig that they played. I just um, said, oh, what's that? Oh, it's our side product. How much is it? 50p? For 50p, I might as well give it a go. So I, I bought it, and I got home and played it, and I kind of reminded me that big fan of Ringworm's first album The Promise kind of it had that grittiness that I hadn't heard for a long time in that kind of metal thing and I thought it was awesome the tracks on there were just really good so I emailed the email address that was on the lining notes and said look I really like this I wasn't really exactly sure what it was and I didn't really know the guys a great deal in another one of their robots but I just emailed and said do you fancy doing an album? They emailed back and, well, it's going to be a one-off gig, but I suppose we could. And it kind of went from there. It was the singer from the Robots actually recorded them, I think, in, like, Basement in Leeds for the first <laughs> album. And that's how it happened, basically. It was just a bit of a fluke, good timing. I liked it. They went for it. Something that, um, off the back of that, well, you know the history of it. From then on, it just went... Well, the first album went down really well, and the second album... Um, I think the first album went down really well with the scene kind of semi got picked up by the magazines but when Hallowed and Ethan came out it just rocketed them to supporting Offspring and playing leads and it was just, I remember going to see I think it was second on a download in the, like, the big tent I was in the crowd actually there yeah, yeah and I remember standing there and I, I stood there and we went quite early because I was with the band and I went to stand I, I didn't go on stage or stand I just wanted to just be in the crowd and I was standing with a few people like their PR agent and I was with a few other people and we were like, oh, there's not many people in this tent. And then we were chatting, we turned around, the tent was packed, and it was about <laughs> people dressed up as zombies. It was absolutely awesome. But yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of, that's kind of how it happened. It was just me picking up their demo tape, thinking it was awesome, and emailing the guitarist. Did you expect the band to blow up as much as they did around the time of the Hallowed and the Heathen? I um, never have any expectations. Just the least stuff that I liked. The time I had an okay job, it was kind of a hobby. I, I haven't got any children or wife, so I put all my spare money into the record label. So if I liked something, I released it. And that's basically what Leonard Deacon was always all about. Just it's a hobby, really. At the time, it was being run from my attic bedroom in a small village in Nottinghamshire. So it never has been any more than that. So I never wanted to be any more than that. I never wanted to turn into an earache or a whatever. Just something that I just wanted to do because I love the music. But yeah, I thought Alan the Heathen to do amazing. I was quite lucky that I released that and November Coming Fire almost exactly the same time. And both of those bands were really big in the scene, which really helped the label have a certain amount of respect. The sure. magazines paid attention, obviously, as well. So I'd have a release in the magazine. You'll be happy to review it. A small label, a label my size, <laughs> say they didn't have that, would maybe struggle to get them in Kerrang and stuff like that. Is it back in the day, even when uh, Fist of Fallen came out, uh, there was fan things like Fracture things like that that really mattered and you needed to get in there to those fan scenes but those kind of with the web coming along stuff those fan scenes kind of fell to the wayside and then then obviously digital sales came and I just to tell you the truth digital sales kind of like was the beginning of the end for me because I like making something and taking a lot of effort to get the inlays right of the CDs and everything like that and when it's just one picture and then there's the music 
I mean, I think it's great that bands can control their future and not to have the record label or anything like that. But it also means that there's a million and one clones off the back of um, instant success. So, um, going back to, yeah, I don't know. I never, I thought the album would do well. I, I remember pressing a few. Normally, I'd only press a thousand records and then sit on them. I've still got them from the early days. But then more power medics, I definitely pressed a lot of that hallowed knees and the first lot sold through. So, um, yeah, I did expect it to do well because the band were doing well. And the, as I say, hallowed knees and snores now, but we struggled with the artwork. But uh, the artwork could have been a lot better. It was, it was a million and one compromises with that. But um, I remember we got a guy in that done some work for someone else and we thought he was really good. And he ended up being really quite poor. And what you, he did the album cover, but uh, it was what wasn't what kind of what we wanted. We wanted better than that, but we had to. It was in the last minute we had to bite the bullet and go with it. So. But it's probably iconic to everybody. But to us, it was a bit like I remember it being a bit of an, uh, a hassle. I don't know if you've got the 50th release that I did with um, Gallows and people like the Rhino playing Semple Palace. I sorted out the artwork for that with Dan Mumford and I really enjoyed doing that artwork and I, that, I think that was probably next to The Awakening probably the best artwork that we did for them because uh, The Awakening was done by a guy called um, Stefan Kaplinski who is him and his brother were massive in the Games Workshop you know the all that arty stuff they used to do a lot of art for Games Workshops so that's where he came from do you know that there's all the members of the band are on that cover if you look through the cover all each member of the band is actually on there Right on the top, hidden at the top, is uh, the bassist. <laughs> That's the giveaway, but all the rest of the band are actually in the cover. They're actually hidden in the cover. Going back to your question, I expect to do well, and ex- I don't know if I expect to explode as much as it did. Sadly, kind of to the detriment of and none of them knew they're robots. I think that is a fair comment. I think yes. <laughs> if there was no send more power medics, then I think and none of them knew the robots would have been a lot bigger than they were. And I still think that they were, they were an awesome band. They ended up doing a small EP with me, which sounded like Minor Threat, which I thought was amazing. But, uh, and that sold quite quickly. I flew out the door. I only, pre- only ever wanted to press a thousand of that, so it would be quite limited. So, um, this is, this is a shame, but not for the guys that send more paramedics. Okay, well, I've asked the band this, so I'm going to ask you too. What is your favourite send more paramedics release and why? First one, because it was probably my first, not, not success, but the first one that went really well. I mean, the beach one did pretty well. But uh, that one was probably the first one that really did do well. I think Barless, my first release, I think that was probably my first proper full-length album that I did. As well, the others were EPs and mini-albums. Palin Even will always have a big part in my heart. I mean, like, <sighs> this is such a great album, really. But the, the last is an album, too, but I think... Um, probably Helen Even number one, Feast Four number two, and then The Awakers number three. That's how go. Not because it was it's the worst, it's just memories. A lot more memory. The band split up, I think, a little bit prematurely. But after Awakens come out, and that kind of like could have been pushed a little bit more. Blood Fever's a great song, it's a fun song, it's a party song, I don't know. So it's a shame. But yeah, so there's my answer. <laughs> it's it's, it's a lot more, but uh, I'm not talking about the albums, I'm talking about memories the albums bring back, and that's kind of like odd where I put it in.
Another kind of standard question, but I think with around 10 years hindsight, you might have some cool memories you want to share. So what would you say is your proudest moment as a member of Semi Paramedics? There's probably a couple of them, really. I mean, the first time we played Download, well, the only time we played Download, it was the first time we actually played a festival. And we got there. I think it's fairly safe to say that we were quite nervous I was quite nervous we're all not wanting to let on that we were quite nervous so we're all kind of puffed up and walking about and like oh this is all fine but I, even despite that that was by far the biggest thing we would have ever have done you know we'd played like to a couple of hundred people at Joseph Swell in Leeds and all of a sudden there's thousands of people waiting behind this curtain I mean it wasn't live aid but it was pretty big for us I remember absolutely nothing about the gig, but I just remember thinking that we were, you know, we were a unit at that point. We were four lads who had come from an underground punk scene, never expected to do very much, and suddenly we were out there and we were, you know, we were a gang together. It was us against the world. And, and that, I think, that I think is probably, you know, the proudest moment. You know, when I saw a footage of Sam on... Kerrang TV um, during his set and some photos of, of us doing it. It was like, yeah, that is, you know, that is something that to be quite proud of, to be honest. The other things are things like when we did the uh, BBC, live BBC thing, also terrifying. Managed to get through that all right, but that was great fun. And then when we played Leeds Festival, I remember there was just one song, God knows what song it was, but there was a circle pit around both pillars of the tent and there's just this dust storm kicked up by it and it was just it was like nothing I've ever seen before and I was making it happen really and you know a couple of our friends were, was, were stood uh, behind us and were just looking at me like going what on earth is going on and it was just things like that things that you would never have dreamed of in a million years but which were unbelievable and incredible to say you were there and enjoy it proudest moment as a member of SMP I think it's probably when we played with the Misfits because the Misfits really started the genre of horror punk I mean there are some other bands that could you could say came before but the Misfits really defined the kind of combination of punk music and horror imagery in, in a lot of ways and yeah we played with a version of the Misfits which was Jerry Only uh, from the original Misfits the bass player plus Des Kadena from Black Flag on guitar plus Marky Ramon on drums. So basically, to me, as a kind of punk rock fan, you can't get a lot better than that in terms of the people you're playing the gig with. You know, those guys are where the whole genre that we were doing came from. So it was just mind-blowing to do that. What a super group. And that was, that was really cool.
Unknown Radio. Our principal aim is to feed, instead of our as many kilos of warm, pink, living brain meat as we can. And I guess to spread, spread our message until it engulfs the whole surface of the earth. And what is the message? You are going to fucking die! By 2005-2006, the band had found themselves performing on much bigger stages at Download Festival, Reading and Leeds, plus Damnation Festival. They had by now toured alongside Avenged Sevenfold, The Offspring, Tiger Army and The Misfits, not to mention headlining a bunch of successful tours. The band also appeared on the BBC3 pilot show, Gorilla Gig Live, presented by Zane Lowe. Everything was looking as promising as it could for the undead thrashers, but circumstances were what they were, and the band called it a day. Under quite mysterious circumstances at the time, in October 2007, playing their final show at Joseph's Well in Leeds on Halloween, As a side note, one thing I will mention about creating this episode is how hard it's been to choose a playlist. Being a long-time fan, I was spoilt for choice, as I don't think you guys really made a bad song. So I'll put it to you, Sam, to pick your favourite SMP song. I'm going to say Zombie vs. Shark as my favourite. The guitars are absolutely ripping. It's super fast. I'm I'm a big fan of the fast stuff. You've got to love a song called Zombie vs. Shark. I'm pretty proud of the lyrics, actually. They're pretty cool. And the vocals, the speed of the vocals. I love the chords in the chorus as well and, and how I managed to put the vocals over that. So it's, it's just an absolute belter.
Okay, here comes the question that has been on most fans' lips. What caused the band to originally dissolve back in 2007? The actual sort of cause was that I think Sam was getting a job as a lecturer somewhere away from Leeds. We were all living in Leeds, obviously, at the time. And he was getting a job further away, so it was basically probably time to call it quits. Also, it was sort of perfectly timed in terms of the arc of it all. You know, we'd done three albums. No thrash band does more than three good albums. We'd have just been churning out scent anger um, if we'd carried on. Adam will be very disappointed to hear me slack off St. Anger. So, you know, we'd done the three albums, we'd done six years of it, um, and Halloween was approaching, so, hey, it was a perfect opportunity to sort of tie it up in a bow. So that was it, really. There was no acrimony, there was no falling out. I mean, how could there be? We're still, and will remain, great friends and always have been. So it was just, uh, just a kind of way to tie it up really decided that it was probably better to to leave now than outstay your welcome and everybody gets sick of all that that nonsense that you brought with you so i have to confess that one major thing in the band breaking up was me quitting i guess at the time uh, we've been doing it for six years we had done three albums all of which i thought were really good and i thought in a way i'd kind of achieved what i wanted to with the band like we'd made a mark we kind of got got noticed a bit we'd had a lot of fun we'd made three records and also at the time i just finished a phd and i was starting to look seriously for work so that played into it and also i was starting to get a little bit over the kind of physical exertion of that that style that vocal style which was kind of defining for the band in some ways but was very you know hard really hard work like doing that getting drunk and shouting your head off like at least once a week for six years like gets a little wearing after a while so it's not a very rock and roll answer but that's my angle on the answer anyway i thought we just we'd achieved a good amount and it was time to quit while we were ahead really
Here is the second part of my telephone chat with Mark from In At The Deep End Records. I always really loved the tales told by Dead Men Split, the band did with the zombie apocalypse. Could you give us a bit of background to how that came to be? I came across that band and I just messaged them and said, do you fancy do a split? A zombie band from US and a zombie band from UK, thinking it would help both bands. Obviously, Zombie Apocalypse had been on like the site offshoot of Revelation Records, and they were these Shire Holdard members in them. So I thought, well, you know what, I'll do good. And I thought, I thought the, the actual song tells told by Dead Man or whatever. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. That uh, is something completely different. And that little Slayer riff yes. in there, <laughs> this is absolutely awesome. I yeah. just love that song. But um, some more palette tracks are always good, if not better. They probably the best stuff they wrote is on that thing the um, guy that did the artwork for that is a uh, guy that does a load of artwork for napalm death and stuff and also the singer for a band called deviated instincts ah, okay, cool. really big back in the day so they get a little bit of background to that as well now that the band have been split up since 2007 what do you think the band's legacy will be and how do you think they'll be remembered people like you remember them <laughs> I guess it's just nice for, nice for me to think that I'd release something that not I didn't have you know, obviously I only had a let's say an administrative role in it but it's nice to think that my my help to let a band let their creativeness out there stuck with the people it's, I think uh, that's about all I've got really <laughs> whether they do something or not is, is so many bands come back and do a really poor job of it I don't think Duncan would write a bad song, to tell you the truth, but whether people want to hear the old stuff or hear the new stuff is a different matter. And whether the young kids remember the band or not is a different matter. Yeah, this is true. I mean, I think a lot of the fan base is probably around about my age now, if that remembers them yeah. from that time, so going on like 30 to 35. I think, that you'd, would you want to hear a new song or would you want them to play the zombie crew instead? Oh, yeah, that's the question. The thing about them was at the time, especially when A Feast of Fallen came out, it was like nobody was doing that at all. You know, they played the BBC Three show once, this pilot show, and I remember playing that, and I remember the um, cameraman being really excited because every other band's management had pinpointed exactly which shots they needed and which um, you need the guitar in for this amount of seconds and you need the singer, of, of, I think it was Jack White's off a band or whatever it was. <laughs> in for this time and then they were just released on um, Send More Paramedics and they could do what they liked I can remember being really excited about that oh second or third time I ever saw Send More Paramedics it was the old angel in Nottingham and this was when I think A Feast of Fallen had just come out and they there was, there was quite a lot of people there and they used to have a, a fake head that they used to pretend to eat brains from but I think it was um, pink grapefruit they used to eat from it <laughs> And they threw it up in the air and it hit me on the head. <laughs> I was recording, I think there's a, a video on YouTube that I recorded and you can see my judder as I get hit by that, this fake head. Uh, another thing, this guy wanted to do a video. I, I think I had to give about, I gave about a thousand pounds towards it, but he was a really big name and stuff. And, and you never seen the light of day because the guy had a complete breakdown as he was editing it and we've never seen it. We all dressed up as zombies and we filmed it in Leeds. So we all got made up and then we went for lunch and we started walking down the road and almost stopping cars. And like four proper professional zombie maker. He basically was trying to attack um, a 
bloke that was dressed up as American footballer, so I think it was kind of like zombies against sporty American types, kind yeah. of like doing that kind of thing. And then he pull, pulled his helmet off and threw it in the air, and that hit me on the head and almost sent <laughs> me uncast. So I don't have much luck with that. But yeah, there's that video out there that no one's ever seen in the light of day, but it would have been awesome as well. That guy really let us down. He just had a massive breakdown and just disappeared off the face of the earth. So maybe after filming that. That's a pretty, pretty, they're quite normal down-to-earth guys. Oh, I remember um, Stu telling me once as drummer that he um, got really drunk at the 1 in 12 in Bradford one time and woke up in a flower bed as um, commuters were walking by him. <laughs> That's the most <laughs> rock and roll thing I can remember. If I went to see would it be in the backstage chatting, it was nothing, nothing rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about it. I don't, unfortunately, I haven't got anything really interesting. It's just really nice being with the guys. It was all, I always look forward to going and seeing them and spending some time with them. So other bands, not so much. <laughs> them, it was always a pleasure. I was kind of just a, just a person that enjoyed music, that thought they were great and just wanted to release their records at the end of the day. So I don't think that they'd, they'd come back and say I was a big record label boss I don't think they'd say that either <laughs> if they are then you want to relook at what they're saying <laughs> I always try and help them as much as possible I never ever signed them for more than one album but they always came back and I always appreciated that well I mean okay. yes so yes thank you very much for your time I appreciate you taking the time out to answer my questions oh no problem at all no problem at all Guys, it's time to party. Go! I feel like death, feel like crawling out of my skin Fire and wait for the 
I was fortunate enough to catch you guys at the 30 Days of Night 10th anniversary All Dayer back in April 2014. I think you played a couple of one-off shows at that time. So how did it feel to receive such a warm and fevered welcome after seven long years away? It was fantastic that people were into it. It was always fantastic that people were into it and it was wicked when we came back and people were, you know, mad for it and there were all these people who... God knows how old they were when we were originally playing, but it was probably they were probably about 10 or something. Uh, it was just really cool that they made the effort to come out. Really awesome that people enjoyed the band. And um, I mean, not everybody would do a comeback gig and, and get that opportunity. So it's really, really cool. Thank you for coming, everyone. It was lovely. It was bloody lovely. It was, it was odd in the sense that muscle memory was still sort of there you know I still vaguely remembered how everything went equally there were songs where I I just thought why did we choose to go to that and do this and that doesn't make any sense at all but it was great basically to be back in a room with everybody and playing and having a laugh and then when we got to the gigs they were great they were absolutely brilliant the uh, we played a a sort of warm-up show at, at a place in Leeds sort of low-key-ish one um, on the Friday and then played the 30 Days of Night uh, show on the Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, both of which were brilliant, both of which were quite different. You know, the low-key one was this low-key, sweaty affair, just like it had been back in 2003. The one on the Saturday was a bit more like it had got towards the end on slightly bigger stages and what have you. Both of them were great fun um, and really nice that everybody seemed to know us and seems to know all the words and seem to appreciate us old fogies trying to do it again um and we played another one-off gig the week after in i think the week after or two weeks later in in london at the barfly again just just great because we always had a great time in london lots of people were so generous in terms of um looking out for us down there and it was nice to see lots of familiar faces who'd made the made the journey and play those gigs so it was just yeah it was just absolutely lovely to get on stage play those songs again and just relive the good times they kill for one reason they kill for food they eat their victims
A very simple one next. What are you guys doing at the moment? Are you still making music? And if you are, feel free to plug it. At the moment, I'm a teacher. I'm an English teacher now. I've got sort of pipe dreams about doing music again in the future. I fiddle around at home on various things. Play a tiny bit of very, very bad attempts at jazz improvisation with some friends on the trumpet, which I used to play in school. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the extent of my musical activity now. Maybe one day again, uh, we shall see. And I am also writing what is probably about my fourth or fifth attempt at a dystopian science fiction novel. Not zombies, I'm afraid, but definitely a dystopian future. I've been working on this kind of thing for years and years, and it'll probably be out shortly after civilization collapses, round about 2050 or so, at the rate it's going. I should also mention, just for the sake of banging on about myself, a couple of other bands I've been in since Semel Paramedics, Beat Emergency, which was a kind of very obscure post-hardcore band uh, from Leeds, and then Cyvoid, which was another thrash band I ended up joining uh, with some guys from uh, The Plight and other bands. And we made an EP, which was basically the same gambit as SMP, recycling film ideas in a thrash lyric. They made some good music, and it was fun to do that. It was, it was fairly brief, but it was fun. At the moment, the current band I do is a band called The Lock and Keys, which is like a, a punk rock band, just a three-piece, sort of hot water music-y, Sammy kind of melodic, gruff punk rock, really. It's funny that, you know, I, I used to be an absolute devotee of bands like Huskadoo and what have you when I was a kid. And I can see why the three-piece works, because you just everybody's got their own little sonic area, and you just deal with that, and that's fine. And we're just old fogies, all been in other bands, and every couple of weeks we get together to play and, and have a bit of a giggle. And it is not stressful, and it is not difficult what I choose to play, which is how I like it. So, uh, so yeah, so that's what I do. Straight after Semwell Paramedics, I did a band called Gentleman's Pistols. In fact, I did the Semwell Paramedics final gig on the Saturday in 2007, and then I did the Gentleman's Pistols first gig, or my first gig with Gentleman's Pistols, uh, on the Sunday. So I literally went from one to the other. Um, effectively, they had already done an album, um, and they needed a drummer, because uh, their drummer had just left. And I was fortunate enough to jump in there, which is great because Send More Paramedics had played with Gentleman's Pistols quite a lot at various gigs in the past. And I remember watching them and thinking, God, I wish I was the drummer in that band. And lo and behold, I became the drummer in that band. So we did uh, a couple of albums, did a variety of tours post Send More Paramedics. Now on what one might call indefinite hiatus, we've all got married, we've all got kids or cats or god knows what else so we live the sort of mid 40s suburban dream at the moment bill the guitar player from gentleman's pistols um is also in carcass so he's often doing that being away he frequently will send me a text saying uh, oh you know how, how are you doing what are you doing and i'll be like well i'm watching homes under the hammer while eating a dairy milk and, and he'll be he'll reply saying oh yeah i'm just uh, i'm supporting anthrax in rio so all right yeah yeah that's that's good so, uh, so that's that's it really. Um, just now and again, it's quite nice to keep your hand in. Um, and Gentleman's Pistols may return at some point, but uh, for the time being, it's perfectly fine to just lie on the sofa watching Holmes on the Hammer for me. Everything 
I'm going to take this one directly from the Senmore Paramedics lyric book. Now it's nearly 2025 and the awakening is almost upon us. Exactly how fucked are we? You can be as serious or humorous as you want with this. God knows, to be honest. 
I think these things go in, in phases. I think people get very riled, say everything is doom and gloom, when actually it's probably all right. You know, people will probably be fine. People will get on with it. And the more things swing one way, they always swing back. I, I remain relatively optimistic for humanity on this, on this particular point in time. So hopefully we're not fucked. If there is a zombie apocalypse, I'm just going to do like Bill Murray in Zombieland and just put the makeup on and just assume that they'll think I'm one of them. I guess the zombies thing was always a good metaphor for a lot of different things and about problems of modernity, problems of global capitalism, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of feels a bit like we are a bit fucked at the moment in terms of some of the people that we've got in charge of our democracies at the moment. Some of the people who are in charge in other countries as well. I mean, they're just nightmares, aren't they? I mean, at this stage, are we fucked? I mean, we still have ostensibly democratic, highly organised technological societies throughout most of the globe. I mean, the kind of apocalyptic zombie imagination very easily goes to, you know, dystopian post-apocalyptic scenarios. And I guess, you know, climate change, climate crisis, combined with human overpopulation, combined with failure to turn away from dependence on fossil fuels on continual economic growth uh, you know could end up with with us being really quite fucked and i mean civilizations do collapse and that's a, that's a kind of typical dystopian trope cliche probably but you know things can break down quite easily um the thing that realistically sort of worries me is the idea of climate crisis driving political instability but also particularly problems with food security like if we have like bad harvests if climate change drives bad harvests then uh, you know politics could very very easily get more extreme we've already got climate change sort of driving large-scale migration and the kind of horrible reactionary backlash that that can lead to but think about you know a future where Resources are much more scarce and where countries, nations, organisations are prepared to take very drastic actions to secure access to them. You know, it could get it could get really, really bad. So I guess I just hope that people can keep being as kind and positive as they can. And, you know, in certain places, it won't be as bad as it could be. I find it very easy to imagine quite scary Dark Age style futures really considering the kind of completely bloated situation of modern industrial globalized capitalist economies that we've got but i'm a dad now so i really don't want to leave that it's that typical cliche please 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 let's not have a zombie apocalypse basically
Okay, last question. It's been 12 years since you guys called it a day. What do you hope or think the band's legacy will be in the history of metal or music in general when all is said and done? I don't really tend to think of myself as a very metal person. I tend to think more in terms of punk. In terms of the history, I don't think we really did anything massively new. I mean, crossover thrash was a thing in the 80s, so we were just kind of doing a version of that, really. So musically, like, what did we change? I don't know, not very much. In terms of legacy, I just, what I think hopefully we, we achieved is just to pass on the sense of excitement, enthusiasm that we had for punk music, metal music, fast, fast, angry rock. Just pass that on, get people excited about that. That's really it. Hopefully people liked it. I think some people did like it. Thank you to them. It was really good fun. I imagine will be a footnote best, but that's fine. We had at the time and remain with very little expectation of us being remembered in the history of metal or of anything, to be honest. However, I think that it would be very nice for some young punk or some young metalhead who's getting into things who might just, you know, his older brother hands him a CD saying, oh, do you remember this lot? You, you should listen to this lot. They sounded a bit like Slayer. You know, and who knows, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, a couple of people might go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember them, or, or that we're so obscure that we might be some cool name to drop. That, I think, is probably wishful thinking. But it would be awfully nice if somehow the baton was passed for people listening to us. That's what any person in a band hopes, I think. You always hope that it will it will last and people might still talk about it in the, in the future. That would be lovely. But other than that, I think it stands on its merits. It was done because we liked hanging out with each other and, you know, we achieved our aims. Dig on these immortal vibes, people. There is nothing more to fear. New horizons have opened up. Those of you listening to the sound of my voice know what I mean. This is now. The new world and the new cycle have begun. For everyone, this is the year zero. So there's lots of work to be done. I'll dedicate my next number to all of the undead around the world and listen to it good.
You've been listening to Into the Unknown Radio. This episode was written and somewhat presented by Dan P. Gratitude goes out to Sam Behelmouth Francis, Stuart El Diablo Dobbins, Duncan Medico Hall and Martin Exundead Hare of Senborn Paramedics, Mark Swinney of In at the Deep End Records and special mentions for added ambience and atmosphere go out to Stuart's squeaky chair. You can still pick up the band's entire discography from the In at the Deep End online store. For more information, visit iatde.com. The band themselves still have an active Facebook page. Send no flowers, please. Sign the Book of Condolence over at facebook.com forward slash UK. And of course, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow what I do by searching for Into the Unknown Radio podcast in most search engines and listening by your preferred methods. Special shout-outs go out to, and none of them knew they were robots, The Nothing, The Wireless Stores, Raw Deal, Cyvoid, The Minor Four, The Emergency, The Dead Anyways, Gentlemen's Pistols, Albzigal, The Locky Keys, 30 Days of Night Records and Jamie Farrell, This Is Menace, Redemption TV for that one soundbite that I stole, sorry, Hellraiser Records in Wakefield, always support your local record store guys, and of course, The Zombie Crew. As a final note, I just want to say that it has been my pleasure to cover some more paramedics and talk with the guys. They've been one of my favourite bands for going on 15 years now. I've managed to see them live multiple times during that period and the band remain a firm favourite of mine to this day. One thing I noted when I was talking to people generally about this episode is the excitement that appeared on their faces when I mentioned who this episode's band was, a testament to the band's enduring legacy and the fun memories a lot of people have of the greatest zombiecore band of all time. The zombie crew will never ever die, at least not on my watch. So until next time guys, thanks for listening. Hi, this is Stuart Dobbins, a.k.a. El Diablo of Senmore Paramedics, and you're listening to Into the Unknown Radio. Testing, testing, one, two, three, come in, rubber ducky. I mean, I really should say Return of the Living Dead, because I have watched that to absolute death. We have watched that to absolute death. As anybody who's listened to our records will note, there's more than a few samples from that record, uh, more than a few references. I mean, oh my God, we've absolutely rinsed that film. How about, hi, this is Stuart Dobbins, also known as El Diablo. Uh, no, let's start again. Hi, this is Stuart Dobbins, a.k.a. El Diablo of Semor Paramedics, and you're listening to Into the Unknown Radio. It's a bit more metal, isn't it? And that, Dan, is probably it, I think. Um, hopefully I haven't made a tit of myself and you can hear all this okay, but any problems, let me know. Thank you very much. Bye.